0: series as we ask, what are you made of? So we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. I'm going to explain more about that uh, in a moment. If you want to grab a Bible, there is. uh, There's some Bibles just at the back by the the big green piggy um, at the back. Um, But before I delve into this, we're going to go through Daniel chapter 1 together. A question for you, to chat to the person next to you. Are you the sort of person who buys cheap or buys quality? So do you think, okay, um, fashions change, I change my mind. I'd rather get something cheap that I can change in a year into, year or two than spend lots of money on something I might not like later. Or are you the sort of person who says, no, I'm going to buy quality and I'm going to keep for like, 50 years, so I never have to buy it again. Have a quick chat to the person next to you. What sort of person are you? Cheap or quality? Okay, I think that will do. So let's have a show of hands. Who goes sort of, I'd rather spend less and have to change it sooner. Hands up. So sort of cheaper stuff. A few of you. Okay. Hands down. Uh, Hands up if you're more kind of buy something expensive so it will last longer. Good, And put your heads up if you're somewhere in between, because I'm sure not all hands... Go- yeah, yeah, it depends on what I'm buying. If it's a sofa, I might get something that lasts longer. If it's clothes, I might get something that lasts less time. I'm finding in our household uh, now, I'm getting to the age of my 40s, where we got a little bit more money, and therefore we're willing to spend a little bit extra on some nice things. So whereas before we had low Actually, we still have loads of second-hand stuff. Um, but we tend to go for less Argos... And actually, we buy stuff from Collingwood. I know. They have sales all the time. We've never spent full price on anything uh, in in Collingwood and Bachelor. But um, actually, we tend to go somewhere in the middle. We like to go for Ikea. We tend to buy it secondhand because it's cheaper. But Ikea is good stuff. And if you go to an Ikea store, I don't know if you've ever seen this. They have machines set up because they want to show that, you know, you can get something that's good quality, that's going to last, that's durable but actually you don't have to spend a fortune. They have these machines. Have you seen them where they've got like a robot opening and shutting the drawer? And they've got a counter, like, you know, it's done one million opens and shuts like that. And they've got um, a thing that makes it look like someone's sitting in a chair, and it goes down, it comes back up and goes down. Like, to show that, IKEA want to show you that they are good quality, they're durable, they will last but you don't have to spend a fortune in order to to get, you do actually have to spend quite a lot in Ikea now, which is why we get them second uh, hands. We're looking this morning and for this month at what are you made of? And we're looking at different qualities. Um, And the one we're looking at this morning is durable material. And ask the question, are you made of a durable material? Now, durable is something we talk about things and materials, Possibly a word that might better suit us as human beings is, are we resilient? Are we resilient? Resilient is defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's about toughness. It's about not being worn down. It's about springing back. It's about regardless of the season that you find yourself in, whether it's storm or whether it's drought you're still able to produce good things and to bless people. Are you durable? Are you resilient? By the end of this sermon, it's going to be about 20 minutes, hopefully be finished by half past. Um, I'm going to give you just a few tips, practical things you can do to help you become more resilient, to become more durable. Okay? And we're going to spend this month and this sermon uh, this morning looking at the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel is in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it sits with the prophets, and it's a book which is a mixture of history and a mixture of prophecy. So it looks to the past, but also predicts to the future as well. And it's a, it, it's book, a book that I looked at loads of time when I was in Sunday school. I love the stories. We didn't look so much at the prophecy bit in Sunday school, but we do know a lot of the stories from Daniel. And um, I want to say this book is not just a story. This is a book about real people at a real time, at a real point in history. I want to just give you a little bit of context now to what is happening and where we' got how we got to this point in history. So, the nation of Israel was a group of people who had been chosen by God to be his special, holy nation, his special people, to be an example, to shine a light to all the other nations of what it means to be human, to follow God. And this small band of people, this family whose father was Abraham, uh, becomes a nation with a king. Uh, King David was probably the most famous, but within a few generations, within a few kings, this nation, this chosen people had split in two. And you had a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And both kingdoms did not do very well when it came to following God, particularly the northern kingdom. And despite lots of warnings through the prophets uh, from God, that if you don't sort yourself out and follow me, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Unfortunately, the northern kingdom, about 100 or so years before this was written, this book of Daniel, the northern kingdom had been invaded by the Syrian empire. Everyone had been shipped out of their cities, Uh, and this nation was no more. Now, Assyria, Assyrian Empire, was a massive empire that stretched from the Mediterranean to the Persian Gulf, from Egypt to Iran. And they were just like the mega superpower uh, of the time. But by the time this book was written in 605, this this story is set in 605 BC, so 2,627 years ago, so not long ago, Um, The Assyrian Empire had started to shrink. It wasn't as powerful as it once was. Egypt had got its power back. You've heard of Egypt. Uh, And there was a new empire in its ascendancy called the Babylonians. Okay, And the Babylonians had started to defeat Assyria. They were now the big uh, empire. Uh, And there was Egyptians. And Judah was kind of stuck in the middle, this southern kingdom uh, in Jerusalem, quite small, Quite precarious in their position. So they had become a, 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 a vassal of, I don't how, how do you pronounce that, uh, that V A S S A L, a vassal to, to Egypt, which was a bit like a protection racket. Where if they gave money to Egypt, Egypt said, We'll look after you, we'll protect you from those nasty Babylonians. Well, the Egyptians didn't do a great job. And the Babylonians defeated the Egyptians literally at the beginning of this story and they head over to um, Jerusalem to get their money, because we're now going to protect you, so you need to give us money. So that's where this story comes. So in the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, the southern kingdom, based in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Egyptians weren't there to protect them anymore. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his gods in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his gods. So this is the payment the Babylonians are taking in order to protect uh, Judah. Nebuchadnezzar has to rush off home to, back to, uh, to, to Babylon because he's found out his father, who was the king, has just died, and he needs to go back and take, grab the power for himself and become the king of Babylon. He doesn't just take golden treasure with him, though. Let's continue in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that were to enter the king's service. So here we have them taking the best of the best, the cream of the crop in terms of uh, the nobility, teenage boys, and taken to Babylon to train to be Babylonian court officials rather than Egyptian. They're taking the best to try and weaken Judah and to strengthen Babylon. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. And here we got them. We got Daniel, who this book is about, the hero of our story, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gives them new names. Daniel, he gives them the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now we'll come to those names uh, in a bit. But here we have some teenage boys who are taken at about the age of 17, maybe 18, and taken away from their homes and taken to a culture which is completely unknown to them. They're taken from their families and they're taken to a new place. It's a bit like, I guess, going to university. Okay, they're about the same age. I went to university and was 18, almost 19. And I remember um, my parents took me to my hall of residence in Loughborough. I went to Loughborough University. And I remember going to the car park, saying goodbye, and suddenly realizing I don't know a single person within about 200 miles of this university. And it was a really scary time for me. Think how much scarier it would have been for these guys being taken by force. They didn't choose like I did choose to go to university. They were taken by force to a people they knew nothing about. And we're told that they are given three new things, okay? First of all, they are given new teachings. So we were told in um, uh, verse 4 that they are to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now, this isn't just language and literature. Caught up in all of this was actually the mysticism, the magic, and the religion of the Babylonian people. So they're taught about new gods rather than one gods. they talk about... Omens, spells, magic. It's sounding more like Hogwarts now than university. This is what they're being taught and trained in. It's not just trigonometry and the language. In it is loads of magic and mysticism, stuff that is banned, prohibited in the Torah, the laws of the Jewish people. Okay, so they're given new teaching. They're also given new names. I'm not gonna repeat the names again, they're hard enough to say the first time. But the names they had were names that were derived from the name of God. Yahweh and Elohim, both are names they they gave to God. And if you look they got Yah or Ah uh and L. Each of their names have got one of those bits in their name. They are names based on their God, the one true God. The names that were given by the Babylonians were based on their gods and about worshiping and praising their gods. So they're given new names that promote a gods that they don't worship. There's another thing that they're given as well. What is it? What's the other thing they're given? Foods. They are given food at a time when food was scarce and every single day you had to look for your food. They didn't have refrigerators or fridges. They were provided with such a blessing that every single day for three years they would be given not just any old food, but the best food. And not just the best food, but the food from the king's table itself. So here we've got these guys, 17, 18-year-old boys. From Jerusalem, who are given new names, a new religion, and new foods. See, how would you respond in that situation? What would you do? What would you do if you're taken out of everything that you know and you're told something that's completely contrary to everything that you have been taught? Because Daniel and his friends would have been well schooled in everything. They're the best of the best, but well, you know, they've been taught all the things already. How would you respond? Well, let's see how Daniel responds in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guards, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see." So we agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. I don't want you to underestimate how important this is. Put your hands up if you have teenage boys or have had teenage boys. Have you ever known a teenage boy to say no to food? (laughs) Teenage boys love food. I remember loving food. It got to the point, I don't think if you have got teenage boys... Do they always pick the most expensive thing on the menu when you go out for a meal? Yes, they do. It's the mixed grill usually. What's the biggest thing with the most meat? You saw in the gathering the amount of meat we were eating. That's what teenage boys do. And, you we have a bunch of teenage boys who have Daniel saying no to the best and most expensive food on the menu. And says, I'm not going to eat your meat I'm not going to drink your wine. I want vegetables and water. I mean, what is going on there? Teenage boys don't eat vegetables and drink water. It's just completely ridiculous. And yes, that's what Daniel did. Why? Why did he pick on foods? Because he could have picked the new names based on other gods. He could have picked on the new religion. Why does he pick foods? Now, this is not an endorsement of a vegan diet, Okay, Not there's anything wrong with a vegan diet. It's very healthy and, and, and very good, but that's not the reason. Now, there's a number of possible reasons. Firstly, it could be it broke the food laws that the, the Jews had. They had very strict food laws. Babylonians loved to eat pigs and horses. Okay? A bit like the French. Um, and, and that went against the food laws of the Jewish nation. So it could be we don't want to defile ourselves by having your food. But actually, in reality all the food of Babylonian was unclean because all of it was possibly used to sacrifice to other gods. So all of the foods was unclean. Second reason, it could be that actually by eating food from the king's table, you were um kind of um, elite having obligations and allegiance to the king of Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar. And actually, they didn't want to do that. Dennis says, no, that's going in one step too far for us, saying that we're friends with the king, who's our enemy. But actually, the third reason I think could be the reason, actually, and this is what we kind of get in the in the text, was this was a test. This was a test. Because for all intents and purposes, it looked like Yahweh, the one true God, had failed. The gods of the Babylonians, well they were far stronger, weren't they? Because they had a big empire. They defeated Judah. They'd taken away these um, guys from Jerusalem. But actually, if we go back to verse two, we're given a lens through which we view this whole book, and it says this: "And the Lord delivered Joachim, the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hands." It was God, not Nebuchadnezzar, who caused this to happen. That's something that Daniel wanted to prove. So he sets up this test. Am I going to follow the Babylonians' ways in terms of food? Or am I going to show that actually God is in control despite everything? So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens at the end of the test. Verse 15: At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal foods. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they were to drink. That they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. They passed the test. God was in control despite all the circumstances. And actually, what Daniel showed was he had resilience that despite all the things that he was coming up against him, despite the difficult circumstances he found himself in, he not only survived but flourished. Verse 7, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service those three years of Babylonian university, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar the king. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus they had durability, they had resilience, they didn't just survive, they flourished and were the best of the best. Do you have that same durability? Do you have that same resilience? I don't know what situation and difficulties you are facing in life at the moment, but are you durable and resilient enough that despite those circumstances, people look at you and go, wow, how are they doing so well in these circumstances? How are they still managing to flourish? How are they still managing to grow? How are they still managing to do good things? How are they still able to bless people even though their life is so hard? Well, I want to give you just very quickly some practical ways in which you can improve your resilience and your durability in your life. And first one is this, and it's from the passage, and I love this. Is Daniel chose his battles. He was inundated with lots of things coming at him, trying to force him into different shapes and do different things and learn different things. And he could have just stood there and go, I'm not doing any of them. But he chose one thing, one thing to make a stand on, one thing that he could control, one thing that he could focus his efforts on. Now, in Daniel's case, it was food. But maybe for you, you're being attached from all sides. Because the reality is, for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, the thing that breaks us is not one thing. It's loads of things. It's the death of a thousand cuts, they say. Actually, it's just accumulation of lots and lots of things that cause trauma in our lives and affect us and grind us down to the point where we go, enough, I can't take this anymore. What Daniel did was go, okay, in all this mess, all this stuff coming against me, what's the one thing I can take a stand on? It might be, you know what, I'm still going to go to work every day and perform well in my job. It might be I'm still going to go to church every Sunday or home group. It might be I'm just going to get up every morning out of my bed. What's the one thing I can do and do well? Despite everything else, what's the one thing? So focus on one thing. To make and take time to rest. See, God built into the week, a day when we rest. We don't rest anymore. We don't take time out. I actually mean to take time out just to rest and escape stuff. Come to the gathering, escape everything, and have a good time. Um, Find times when you can take a break. And just think and reflect on those things that are troubling you. Also, what's quite big at the moment is wellness, well being, which is about paying attention to how you're feeling and, the, and, and your body and your physicality and taking just to be quiet and think, you know, how am I doing? How am I physically? How is my mind? See, all these are great things. And I would encourage you to do all of these things. You know, if we're ill, we go to the doctor, we take a pill or whatever it is, we'll take the treatment. But actually, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are offered something more. And just some of these really useful tips. See, there was a guy called Jeremiah who was a prophet. Uh, At the same time that Daniel was alive. And Jeremiah shared the word of God for the people of Judah uh, as they went into exile and whilst they were in exile. And he says these words in Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, verse 7 to 8. And they're up on the screen. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord's, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So Jeremiah is talking here about, you know, despite the circumstances, storm or in this case drought, despite what hitting against you, he's taught, saying you will be able to bear good fruits. How? By putting your trust in God. What we have about a thousand years, no, five hundred plus years later, is these words from a guy called Paul to a church. In Ephesus, a bunch of Christians. And he says these words in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with power. How? So we need strengthening. How is he going to do it? Through his spirit in your inner being through his spirit, God's spirit in our inner being. If you are a follower of Jesus, and what I mean by that is someone who has decided, you know what, I'm not sure about this all God church stuff, but I see something in Jesus that excites me. I don't want to start to base my life on him. I want to start to follow him. That's a follower of Jesus. There are some people who have made a commitment to Jesus, but aren't a follower of Jesus. They're just made a choice some years ago. If followers of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus and trying to be like him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are given God's spirit. You're given strength, not from yourself, but from our Heavenly Father. The power that created the universe, the hands that flung stars into space, is dwelling in you. And you can draw strength from him. So lastly, how do you do that? Practically. Very simple. Okay, very simple. And this is something you can go away with and start tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Try and spend three to five minutes of your day, just three to five minutes, fixing your eyes on Jesus, focusing on God. I'm not asking you to do a massive Bible study. I'm not asking you to read the Bible in one year. As great as those things may be, I'm saying now, you, if you want to start this, three to five minutes focusing on Jesus, because it's no good starting this when you're in difficulty, although it's never too late to start. Start this now in the good time so that when you hit the bad times, you will be resilient and you will be durable. So how do you do that? One, you could just play a worship song. You might have thought, oh, well, I want to like one of, those song- one of that song that I heard this morning, only one. Um, and you go to Ian and say, what was that song? and Ian will tell you, and you might look it up on YouTube or Spotify, and just think, I'm going to listen to that once a day for the next week. I'm just going to give that time to Jesus, just to focus on the words and focus on the song. It could be you pick a psalm or a passage of Bible that you've looked up on the internet, you remember from childhood, whatever. I'm just going to read that just every day, just to focus on the Word of God and just take that time out. Um, Some people do a rule of rule of life, which is some prayers that monks use. Um, You can all become monks. There's a Northumbrian community, Northumbrian community. Uh, They're a Baptist kind of um, group, community, and they have prayers. You can just have one that's designed to read while you're boiling the kettle for your cup of tea. Okay, just a few minutes. Just so I'm just going to focus on God, um, there's some Bible notes you can get for free. So, Bible notes are notes that you can that help you read the Bible. Okay, we we really recommend you read the Bible, it's the Word of God, it's it's such a source of life for us. Uh, And you can get Bible notes of different lengths. But if you want free Bible notes, UCB, which is United Christian Broadcasters, they do a radio show, they produce something called Word for Today. Does anyone do Word for Today? There's a few people. Literally just a very short, like a Bible verse and a very short uh, few words take you three to five minutes, probably even less than that if you're a quick reader, just to be quiet and focus on God. If you're a techie person, you know, a millennial or something like that, you might want an app. So there are two apps. There's one called Lectio 365. I know a few people do do that one. Put your hands up if you do that one. Okay, there's a few people. That comes out of the 24-7 prayer moments. so Lectio 365. I'm going to put these on our Facebook page, by the way, if you want to find them. Um, and that is, there's a morning and an evening-led prayer time. You can read it, or you can have it read to you. Uh, you just press the play button. Um, uh, and that's what, they're, they're really good. It's based around scripture and that sort of monastic prayer that I was talking about earlier. And then there's another one that I found um, called the One Minute Pause. So if you can't do three to five minutes, can you do one minute? And that's from the um, Renewed Heart Ministry, uh, ransomed Heart Ministry, sorry, an app called One Minute Pause. Um, see, the result that we had with Daniel was someone that flourished someone that stood amongst everyone else. I want each and every one of you to flourish in your difficulties, not to diminish your difficulties, because life is difficult and life is hard. But God can provide us with the strength so that we can shine in the darkness. That's what we see in Daniel. As we, read, as we go through the book of Daniel over the next uh, few weeks, you will see a guy who was resilient, he was durable, because he never left Lost his relationship and depth of relationship with his heavenly father. We're going to um, spend some time just reflecting. There's going to be some questions that come up on the screen and then Ian's going to come up and lead us. So let's just take out a minute to pause and reflect. <laughs> When have you needed resilience in your life? How resilient, durable, are you now? Where are the possible fracture points? What are you doing now to increase your resilience? What practical step will you take this week to help you draw strength from God?